Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, October 31st, also known as Halloween. On today's show, I'll be chatting with a true crime author from here in BC and take a look back at one particular murder that occurred in Vancouver in 1965. Spoiler alert, he almost got away with it. Almost. So I'll be joined by Eve Lazarus to talk about her book, Murder by Milkshake, which was recently up for some awards at the 2019 Bill Duthie Booksellers Choice Awards here in British Columbia. I'll also be speaking with the head of the Vancouver Paranormal Society. I will be joined by Peter Wren, and hopefully he will have some good ghost stories to tell us, and maybe even fill us in in some haunted places here around Kamloops that might be worth checking out. I'll also be chatting with a woman who lives in Brocklehurst, who helped organize a little contest for the best Halloween display in their neighborhood and if you're in that area well you can still have a say in who is going to win that contest and to end off today's show while i'm sure many of you have carved out some jack-o'-lanterns and those are going to look great tonight but what the heck are you gonna do with them tomorrow well i'll be joined by the environmental services coordinator with the city of kamloops to let you know how to go about disposing of those pumpkins in a responsible way and perhaps even in a super fun way as well but to start off today's show just how much do canadians like halloween well let me take you through a few stats. Happy Halloween! There are about 4 million children in Canada who are at the prime age of trick-or-treating. That is aged 5 to 14, so that's a lot of potential customers at your door tonight. There are nearly 2,600 Canadian farms with pumpkin patches producing more than 80,000 metric tons of pumpkins. That brings an overall estimated value of $26 million. That's a lot of pumpkins. Canadians bought over $392 million worth of candy from large retailers. This is stats from October 2016, so that figure I'm sure has only gone up in the past three years. I'm going to say we're spending some $400 million on candy in October. Stats Canada reports that the number of criminal incidents reported to police rises each year on October 31st. Yes, when comparing Halloween to a full week prior on October 24th, overall reported incidents rise by a little over 7%. So yes, Halloween does, of course, bring out the worst in us. When it comes to charity, we don't see those UNICEF change boxes like we used to, but we have now migrated to an online system. And on average, Canadians donate around $3 million a year to charity on all hallows eve so even though it may be just a day to pig out any candy it is also a time to be charitable and giving so remember that tonight when you're handing out your candy and when it comes to a good old saturday celebration canadians spend an average of 169 dollars on hosting a spooky shindig now i don't know who thinks they can throw a good halloween party for 170 bucks but i'd like to see it or maybe I wouldn't like to see it because I've thrown Halloween parties and I will tell you that is just not a big enough budget. Not if you want to have the display that is going to scare, that is going to bring fear in your guests. No, you need to spend a little more than $170 or maybe you're just the best craftsperson of all time. I've made a lot of crafts on Halloween as well. And then, you know what, those still ride a few dollars. They still ride a few dollars. Now spending for the average person on Halloween. Average spent attending a party for a Canadian, $77. $55 spent on alcohol, so that's probably most of your budget right there. Costumes, $52 on average is spent making a costume. 
The average Canadian spends $42 on candy for Halloween, and the average person spends $43 on decorations. Now, according to stats, after Christmas, Halloween is the next biggest celebration in Canada on which the most dollars are spent. Many Canadians state they save money specifically for Halloween. It wasn't the case for me this year, but I have definitely been that guy in the past, saving up a few dollars to spend it on All Hallows' Eve. And there are a number of people who have done just that throughout the city, of course, so be sure to check out the local displays in your neighborhood. And there is one neighborhood that has maybe taken that even a step further with a display contest. I am joined now by the vice chair of the Brocklehurst Community Association, Darlene Clark, who helped put together the Brocklehurst Halloween Haunt. Darlene, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. So let's just talk a little bit about this tour. What exactly is it here that uh, that you're promoting? So in Brocklehurst, we've put a call out for those that are decorating their yards. And so we have eight houses who have submitted into entering into this contest. And we've put together a map for the community. So the community can pull the map off the Brocklehurst Community Association Facebook page, and they can go around and tour all of these houses that are all decorated. That's pretty awesome. So um, this is something that you guys started on Saturday, right? The 26th was sort of the first day you were encouraging people to really go take this tour, if you will. Um, so, so how have things gone so far? Do you have any idea? Have there been a lot of traffic around these places so far? There's been quite a bit of traffic. So my family and I ran around and did the tour on Sunday, and we were really, really delighted to see how many families were out and about walking around and checking out the houses. My house is one of them, and yesterday there was a steady stream of people that were coming through. And I've chatted with um, most of the residents that are putting on their decorated houses, and they're saying that they're they're seeing more and more people coming. So it's it's created quite the vibe in Brocklehurst. What sort of made you or spurred you to put this on? Because you mentioned you're one of the houses that uh, is on this tour. And I know I've done uh, Halloween displays in the past. And, you know, there's no real better feeling than when you see someone come up and, and start looking at what you've done and, and, you know, and enjoying the work that you put in and hopefully maybe even getting a, a little bit scared as they walk up your driveway or whatnot. So, uh, you know, what, what exactly was it that made you um, have this idea to, to start this tour and get, you know, other households on board as well? Well, so a couple of years ago on a Facebook post, um, you know, you always see the community post up and say, hey, that was a great Halloween. Thanks, everybody. And a few people were saying, yeah, we know there's some really well elaborate decorated houses. And, you know, it'd be awesome to see them all put together on a map, kind of like the Christmas light tour. And so last year was the first year that I thought, you know what, let's get this done. So we posed it to the Brockers Community Association and we put a team together and put the first Halloween haunt on. And it was really, really successful. We got a ton of good feedback. So we've done it again this year. And, you know, as, as you've seen, this is your second year, you said so. Have you seen more people jump on board as this, you know, continues to, to uh, move along in number of years that it's going on? I mean, I know it's only year two here, but I mean, are you seeing more interest this year compared to last? I'm definitely seeing more community interest. So we're seeing more people participating in walking around and checking out the houses. We're seeing more flow of communication on the Facebook pages, which is really, really great. You know, as neighbors, we're so busy in our everyday lives that we don't necessarily um, talk to people as much as we normally do. And Facebook is a great way to build that collaboration and let people know about 
you know, events that are happening. So I'm glad to see that more and more of our neighbors are starting to connect through social media and starting to connect by walking around and checking out the houses and, and meeting the people that live there. Awesome. Can you can you speak a little bit about some of the work that has gone into some of these displays? Because as I had mentioned, you know, nothing is more um, satisfying than seeing people come and, uh, you know, enjoy the work that you put into some of these displays. And I'm sure there's a lot of work that has gone into some of these. So can we just talk a little bit about what people will see if they do come and take this tour? So I have to give credit to all of the houses. They're very individualized, very creative in what they've done. So one of the houses has this fantastic theme of a children's playground, um, haunt style, of course, um, but uh, very PG neutral. So so don't be afraid to bring your kids. Another house um, has set up a bit of, it, it's a walkthrough. So their entire backyard is done up with lots of animatronics and attention to detail on um, every individual room. Another house house has um, an entire theme around a chop shop and so you can imagine as victims come through the various processes within that yard. Um, my house has a giant spider on the roof and a big cemetery in the front yard. Yeah, everybody's got these great ideas and they're so individualized. That's awesome. Well, uh, definitely uh, worth checking out. It sounds like I know I'm probably going to take a little tour myself, so I'll print off the map here and, and uh, take, a, take a quick tour through Brocklehurst. Thanks so much for doing this, Darlene. Anything else that you wanted to add before I let you go? Yeah, the last thing I wanted to note was um, this is a contest, so residents can pick up voting cards at each of the houses, and on Halloween night, you can drop your voting card off at any of the houses. And, um, yeah, just come on out, vote for your favorite house, and check out the Brock Community Association Facebook page if you need a copy of the map. Awesome. Well, Darlene, thanks so much for doing this. really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Coming up after the break, I'll be talking about ghosts, so stick around. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Halloween. Today is, of course, a day that many believe the thin wall between the spirit world and the human world is dispersed. And that sounds like a pretty good day to perhaps go ghost hunting. And I'm joined now to talk about all of that with the head of the Vancouver Paranormal Society, Peter Wren. Peter, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem. Hi, Jeff. So, Halloween. I mean, uh, do you have any plans here on this All Hallows' Eve to perhaps go look for some spirits? Uh, typically, this time of year with the society I'm in, that kind of thing, we normally we do a lot of public presentations, that kind of thing, up and down BC. Uh, this time of year, we are a lot more busier. Uh, there are people that uh, pay a little bit more attention to the creeks and the bangs and what they hear during the night, and uh, they tend to reach out to us more this time of year as well. So they're trying to basically find uh, what would be a good spot to maybe camp out and, and potentially have a run-in with, uh, with a, a ghost or two. Around Kamloops area? Sure. Or uh, Kamloops area, um, there are, there's, a, there's a few places uh, we, well, as a, as a government-registered society, we are bonded by uh, legal reasons that we can't disclose certain destinations. But there is the Bailey House in Merritt. Um, we are a frequent visit visitors to there. Um, we've been going there for probably about four years. Um, we've had a number of uh, 
number of activities there um, documented as well. Um, there's a couple of uh, public places around Kamloops as well, uh, which we have we have been been to quite often as well, which equally has the same amount of activity as well. So uh, when you're talking about going somewhere, I guess, multiple times, like you were mentioning out in Merritt there, um, I mean, what is it that, that brings you back? I mean, you must have been having some success when you're looking at uh, some activity out there, some potential paranormal activity that you're seeing that's kind of bringing you back on a, on a frequent basis. Uh, typically, typically it's, uh, yeah, it is. If we get, if we get more, if we get more activity in a place, we tend to visit a place more. Uh, but if we're also as well, if we're, um, we're fundraising as well for a place, we, we tend to, you know, visit the place a little bit more often as well. So it's kind of, uh, it's a stretch with both at the moment. Our society generally, uh, generally though does cater more for residential hauntings that kind of thing so that's where we kind of are pushed uh, the most um how we work up and down bc um we have uh, teams utilized in all areas of bc as well to serve you know various locations how big is the the paranormal society that you're a part of then is it a pretty extensive organization or, or a group if you will um, we have approximately 15 uh, volunteers for our group, um, all different levels. We have, uh, my background's construction, we have nurses, psychologists, that kind of thing. Um, uh, we have researchers that do, you know, historical searches as well on sites, that kind of thing as well. Um, and uh, various other people that all add into the mix. Yeah, so you all got sort of a different skill set that you can bring to the table here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, and it's not just uh, what we do, obviously, as a paranormal research team. We're not, you know, our first protocol is in any given cir circumstance, whether it's a public building, whether it's a government building, or whether it's a residential building, our first protocol is to find a logical explanation behind, um, you know, so-called paranormal activity. Um, if we can't find that, our, you know, our pro, uh, then secondly, joint second will be our protocol to be, uh, to, um, either, either validate their, the client's claims. So you must have had, uh, quite a bit of experience then, you know, having some unsubstantiated claims. I mean, you've been doing this for some time. So, I mean, can you tell me any stories or do you have any particular ones that stand out as, uh, you know, something that, you know, is, is unexpected or, or uh, more shocking than others? Um, I can give, uh, obviously the, the public places that I can give uh, stories about will be uh, the Bailey House. Um, uh, that's for one. Um, we, we, like I said to you earlier on, we've been visiting there for probably on and off for about four years. Mm -hmm. And we took a year out, um, a year or so back, um, sorry, about two years ago. And we came back last year, um, me and another co-investigator and uh the activity in there was just Im immense um we was upstairs in the uh it was actually in winter time as well um we was upstairs and um uh we locked all the doors up downstairs for security reasons and we started an evp session which is a, like a voice uh evp is like an electronic voice phenomenon okay. basically we ask a load of questions and we get a response and we record it, you know, with a tape recorder or a digital recorder, mm -hmm. so forth. Anyway, we started the EVP session, and uh, all of a sudden we heard a giant was bang, like a, a bang as loud as the, they just rattled the whole house. So we, both me and a co-investigator, went running downstairs thinking that someone was trying to break in, and the uh, washroom door 
was pushed so far over, over it was one of those sliding doors. Mm-hmm. It was actually wedged wedged into the wall. Yeah, we couldn't find any logical explanation. There was no, like, uh, you know, HVAC, no wind or anything like that, natural winds or environmental factors that caused it. Um, we've also, in one, one of the rooms as well, we've actually heard with our own ears uh, uh, one of the investigators being cursed at a number of times as well, like the F word and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, yeah, so it's quite a quite the eventful place. Um, other places, um, I've there's one, uh, there's the Orphan Theatre in Vancouver where we actually, me and two other members of the team saw four apparitions standing in the doorway of the theatre as well. Um, that was quite the find, um, and uh, basically knocked, <laughs> knocked us all for six after that, but um, yeah, I've I've been investigating now in um, BC now for probably just over 10 years, um, and uh, it's been very eventful, to say the least. Yeah, I uh, hear with the Vancouver Paranormal Society head, uh, Peter Wren. So when you talk about doing this for 10 years, I mean, there's a lot of people out there who would probably think you're crazy, right? And and ghosts aren't real. What What is it, I guess, that uh, you know that has had you doing this for 10 years? I mean, obviously you believe in ghosts. Have you Have you seen one, or you know, what is it about uh, you know the the spirit world that just brings you in and, and you know has you uh, uh, captivated here for the past 10 years? I guess, I guess my I guess my motive being is I, I want to help people. Um, I had a I had a lot of it. Um, Incidences when I was younger in regards to the paranormal where I grew up in England. Um, only at the end of the day, I want to help people. My, you know, my goal is, you know, to find that logical explanation behind things, whether it's, you know, problems with the buildings, whether it's uh, actual, you know, issues and in any other environmental issues that could cause that, you know, that, that about a paranormal. Uh, I guess that's my, uh, my main goal kind of more than anything else but um obviously you know uh, investigating and we do find things that um you know that is paranormal that also drives me as well because obviously you get that edge of excitement knowing you know you you (laughs) knowing that you've you've gone fishing you've actually caught fish (laughs) yeah Do do you get scared ever when you're doing this um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. Um, there are certain times where, I mean, certain situations where you just get that, that sixth sense kicking in where, you know, things just don't feel right in the room um, or in a certain area or when you work in a certain building. We've all got that kind of characteristics about us and uh, it just makes you feel uneasy. I had one particular time um, in an investigation we did in New Westminster down in the lower mainland. Um, I actually had to walk out of the room, which is the first time in my twenty. 20- Six-year career in paranormal investigating. But I uh, actually did that because it just—I couldn't, you know—it just felt weird going into the room. That's interesting stuff. Um, any anything uh, big that you guys are working on right now, or you know, have, uh, I guess if people are are wondering or concerned about uh, potential paranormal activity around them, do they give you guys a call? How does that work? Yeah, we, we we're constantly going. We we basically um, as as a team. We investigate throughout the whole year. Um, obviously, give it, you know, give a couple of weeks off at Christmas, that kind of thing. Um, generally, this time of year, uh, we do, you know, we like I said to you earlier, we, we there's a public couple of public presentations we do for the public. Um, but generally, we most uh, most of our focus is residential cases, which we're inundated with at the moment. But we always take on new cases. If anyone would want to reach out to us they can reach out to us on our facebook page which is vancouver paranormal society or our website which is www.vancouverparanormalsociety.net 
Right on. Well, uh, thanks so much for doing this. I, uh, you said you take a couple of weeks off at Christmas, but I wonder if maybe Christmas is a time of uh, more activity as well. I know a lot of deaths seem to happen around that time of year. So Yeah, everyone's, everyone overindulges and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Peter. Really appreciate it. And uh, maybe I'll give you a call if I find any suspicious activity. Definitely. Please do, Jeff. Thank right you. On. Take care. You as well. That's uh, Peter Wren, head of the Vancouver Paranormal Society. Coming up after the break, we're going to be going back in time and talking with Eve Lazarus about a murder in Vancouver in 1965. So stick around. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back into today's Halloween episode. In honor of this spooky day, I wanted to take a little bit of a look back at some uh, mysterious crimes that have happened here in British Columbia. And uh, I was able to track down an author of one book who took a look at one particular crime here that took place in July of 1965. The book is called Murder by Milkshake, and it focuses on the story of uh, Esther Castellani, who was pronounced dead after a seven-week stay in hospital where she was fighting a mysterious illness. Her doctor was confused as to the cause of her death, and while she was still alive, ran hundreds of tests and, and brought in several experts to find out what was going on, yet no cause could be discovered. The initial autopsy provided little closure, pointing to heart failure as a possible mode of death, yet there was still no cause. Uh, Esther's doctor wasn't satisfied with those answers to the case and dug through her entire medical history, doing extensive research until finally arriving at a possible cause, arsenic. After the city's analyst lab found abnormally high concentrations of arsenic in tissue samples, Esther's mysterious death turned into a homicide investigation. Her husband, Rene, became the primary suspect, and he worked at a Vancouver radio station, CKNW, and was known there for his uh, over-the-top promotions. He was a promotions man there. Uh, as his wife was dying in hospital, Rene would visit her, bringing her a white spot milkshake, uh, one of the few things I guess she was able to, to keep down at the time, and uh, he also continued his not-so-secret affair with the radio station's receptionist. Uh, while Rene was sent to jail for capital murder after uh, being found guilty, uh, he was initially sentenced to death, but was later sentenced to life after the death penalty was removed from Canada's justice system. Uh, apparently a model prisoner. Rene was out within a couple of years on day parole, working around Abbotsford and going back to Matsqui at night, and within 10 years was fully paroled and got another radio job in Ab Abbotsford before remarrying and moving to Nanaimo. Here to talk about this BC murder story is the author of Murder by Milkshake, Eve Lazarus. Eve, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So before I get more into the details of this story, I think I did an okay job of reviewing it, but uh, I just want to ask sort of about your interest in these true crime stories and murder and, and ghost stories, if you will. What, what is it about these types of things that really attracts you? Well, they're all different ones, and I'll take Murder by Milkshake. Um, what happened with that, I'd written about it, oh, in my first book at Home with History back in 2007, but I'd written about it filtered through the house where it happened because it was such an, a bizarre, unbelievable story. And um, I hadn't thought much about it after that, but I'd always wondered about the daughter because when Renee murdered his wife they had an 11 year old daughter and she became the collateral damage out of all of this you know horrible mess and um, 
So I was always curious, you know, what happened to her and because he was always such an over-the-top sort of character. And and then uh, a couple of things happened. I'd written up a post, you know, around Halloween a few, few years back about, um, on my blog, Every Place Has a Story, just talking about the murder, again, filtered through the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, lucky for me, I, I made a mistake. And I got an email a couple of days later from a woman named Debbie Miller, and she said, you know, you're wrong. You said that Lolly, this was uh, Rini's uh, girlfriend, uh, had a six-year-old daughter. Well, she he didn't. Um, she didn't. He, he had uh, she, Lolly had a, a son, and that's my husband Don. And he's been looking for Janine for nearly fifty years. Do you know where she is? And I said, Wow, um, no. But I've always wanted to know what happened to her. And then. About two years later, I'd had a, a book launch for my book, Blood, Sweat and Fear, and it was about uh, the first forensic scientist in Vancouver, really North America, and he'd started up the building that's now the Vancouver Police Museum and Archives, and we had uh, our book launch there, and we'd set up a, a cash bar in the old autopsy suite, and the morgue's still there, everything's still intact, and there's a true crime exhibit that with Esther on it, and it's where Esther's body was brought when she was exhumed back in 1965 and in the middle of all this Janine turned up with her daughter and that's how I met her and uh, so we got together you know numerous times after that and I decided that I really needed to tell this story but from Janine's point of view and um, and to try to give a mother back a bit of a voice mm-hmm. in, in all of this and, and that's what I've attempted to do. That's uh, interesting, and you know, you don't often hear people almost being happy that they were able to to make a mistake, and that uh, you know <laughs> that ended up actually being a good thing in in your story here, because it uh, kind of led you down this path to be able to write this book. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened otherwise. And when I, at the book launch, you know, I'd said to Janine, "Oh my God, you know, uh, Don has been in contact with me, and he's been looking for you." And she got really emotional because it turned out she'd been looking for him for nearly fifty years as well. So one of the things I'm really proud about is that it brought them back together again because they'd lived like brother and sister for about five years. And then Janine was, uh, when Lolly found a new guy while um, Irene was in jail for capital murder, uh, Janine got the boot to another relative and uh, they were told, you know, she had a name changed and told never to talk about it again. And she pretty well didn't uh, until, you know, this book came about. Uh, what was that like for you, I guess, when you were first able to kind of get these two together? Um, uh, they must have kind of brought a real different perspective to the story than, than what had been published so far. Oh, very much so. It gave a really sort of personal look, and, and there was so much that these two had in common, obviously. You know, they, they had this horrendous murder, and, you know, their, their parents. But, you know, they'd also been silenced. They'd had their voices silenced about it for so long, and this is a murder that, you know, is probably the most sensational one of last century and when it came out and it's still you know it's out there on all the ghost tours and all of that but they just talk about the murder it doesn't talk about the effects on the family and uh, when I do these true crime stories I'm always very aware that I'm talking about real victims and they've got families and friends that are still grieving them even after several decades in some cases and uh, I'm trying to tell their story and I always make a huge effort to, to contact the families and really find out as much as I can about them. 
And and when you were kind of going through the process here of, of speaking with, um, you know, Renee's uh, daughter and um, I guess son-in-law, if you will, I don't, I don't know if that's the right term here, um, but when you're speaking to them and maybe speaking to other people who, who sort of knew Renee and, and a little bit about him and his story, um, what what kind of... Uh, character were you able to, to picture or, or to paint? I mean, did you have a, a, a something in mind of what you kind of thought his personality might be like and did that change as all, at all as a result of the, the interview processes that you went through? Oh yeah. <laughs> it really did. I mean, he was um, quite a celebrity back in the day with CKW. He was in promotions and he did all these bizarre stunts. Um, at, at one point, they had him dress up as the Maharaja of Alibaba, handing out cash to everyone and telling everyone he was here to buy BC. And it was a huge stunt for ratings for CKW. It was incredibly successful and he was hired full time from the basis of that. Uh, he did stunts where he uh, climbed up to the top of the BOMAC sign on West Broadway in Vancouver and um, stayed up there for nine days until every last car in the lot was sold. Um, he was a dizzy dialer. It was a kind of uh, punk thing where, you know, he would call up people and say things like, uh, you know, call a pet store and say, oh, I've got a budgie. Is it okay if I clean it with the eraser? And they would go, oh, my God, you can't do that. And he would, you know, do a gotcha. And he became really well known for that and for doing these crazy characters. Um, so he was this really over-the-top personality. He was really charismatic. Um, I talked to a lot of people who worked with him back in the 60s and knew him. Norm Groman, for instance, and uh, George Garrett, and who sort of gave me a sketch of what he was like. I, I had his, what he was like from Janine, his um, daughter. And also I talked to people after he got out of jail and was working back in radio, and uh, I'd ask them what they thought of him. And he said, uh, you know, without a doubt, they'd say, oh, he was great, he was very charismatic, he was so much fun, he was so smart. And I'd say, well, do you think he did it? And they'd all go, every one of them, oh, yeah. I mean, no one doubted that he murdered his wife in this horrific, brutal way, but no one seemed to care, and I, I found that just a huge disconnect. Uh, there were a lot of things that I couldn't quite figure out about him, and um, I went to a forensic psychologist called, uh, a really uh, a great woman called Dr. Heather Burke, and um, Heather was able to sort of read my first draft and, and look at everything and, and sort of analyze him from that. And, you know, she basically said, oh, yeah, he just ticks off every box on the psychopath checklist. Uh, he was just a complete psychopath. Wow, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty drastic shift from kind of where things started to, to where things ended up going in terms of, uh, you know, just the way you were able to, to view this man. Um, I will ask you one more question here, Eve. Um, you know, you talked about how horrific of a way this was to kill someone with the arsenic poisoning and, and you know, putting it on a, a milkshake that he would bring her every day, uh, even while she was still in hospital dying. Um, Actually, that's a bit of a myth. Oh? Um, it, it, it was never proven. Everything against him was circumstantial. Okay. It was never proven that um, it was through milkshakes. Okay. But when I talked to a whole bunch of toxicologists and people about arsenic, they said it was a no-brainer. She loved milkshakes from White Spot. It was the only thing she could drink in the end. So it was a perfect delivery system. But he was never actually caught giving her anything. 
was diabolically clever and it's still a, a really clever murder weapon because arsenic when it's given in small doses tends, tends to mimic um, natural causes like the flu or viruses which is what they thought right up until she died mm-hmm yeah, that's why I was going to bring it up, because I, I believe you had called it a, a brilliant way to kill someone or something along those lines, especially, I guess, for, for 1965, it would have been a little more difficult to, to trace something like that. So I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on the whole, on what happened in terms of that poisoning and just why you think it was such a, I guess, creative way, if you will. I'm not sure what the word would be to, to describe it, but uh, yeah, just uh, the sensationalism behind that. Well, he nearly got away with it. And, um, you know, it's interesting because arsenic was used as a murder weapon, you know, frequently in the 1700s and 1800s. And uh, he probably wouldn't have got away with it back then because uh, that's what people were looking for in those mm. symptoms. But um, in, in 1965, it was basically unheard of. But it was very easy to get your hands on arsenic. Um, you know, it was in rat poison and weed killer and... You know, most many families would have it under the kitchen sink um, in various other things. So it wasn't hard to get hold of. But then, as now, you have to test specifically for arsenic. It just doesn't come up any other way. And so, you know, to do that, you, you have to sort of click on that it is arsenic. And there was no reason to suspect him at that point because he was playing, you know, the loving husband. The affair was known at CKW, but it wasn't widely known. And uh, they never thought to check it. You know, when I talked to, again, toxicologists and doctors, you know, they said they're all trained, you know, to look for horses, not zebras. And, um, you know, it wasn't something that would have occurred to them. It probably wouldn't now. Uh, so, in that way, fortunately, it's much harder to get now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that way, yeah, it's very creative. And he very, very nearly got away with it. In fact, had he was just a bit too clever. Had he had a cremated... He would have got away with murder. Well, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, eh? Mm. <laughs> well, Eve, thank you so much for doing this. I'm sure we could talk about this story for a lot longer. Um, but yeah, definitely some interesting stuff there and a story I kind of wanted to bring up uh, just given the fact that it is Halloween here and, um, you know, just the time is right to kind of be talking about these these types of stories. Um, now, this was one of several other books that you have published. Uh, anything else uh, coming down the pipeline from you here in the near future? Uh, not true crime. I'm, I'm going back to history and heritage buildings in my next book. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. And, of course, uh, anyone listening can uh, check out your work at evelazarus.com. Well, thanks so much, Eve. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. That was Eve Lazarus talking specifically about her book, Murder by Milkshake. Coming up after the break, I'll be helping you stay safe out there tonight and also be responsible with your pumpkins. So stick around for that. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back here on Halloween. Yes, Kamloops RCMP don't want you playing any tricks on your neighbors tonight, and they also want to make sure that you're staying safe. I'm joined now by Kamloops RCMP Corporal Jody Schalke. So, Corporal, maybe just uh, give me a quick rundown of sort of some of the tips and tricks that Kamloops RCMP are kind of giving out to parents here uh, as they prepare for trick or treating. 
Well, in advance of trigger treating time, we recommend that homeowners go out and prepare their yard for potential trigger treaters. And by that, I mean go out and just roll up any garden hoses you may still have out, pick up ladders, lawn ornaments, things like that. We really recommend that trigger treaters stay on sidewalks and use pathways into houses, but we all know that kids get really excited and sometimes cut across lawns. So it's good to get rid of any tripping hazards. Also in advance, if you have pets, um, be aware that they may get um, up anxious with all of the doorbells ringing or door knocking and, and strange going on. So be prepared to have your furry friend be put into a special room where they're not disturbed so much by the going ons. Then for parents who have uh, little kids themselves going out trick-or-treating, just make sure that they're very reflective so their costume um, is easily seen at nighttime or they carry glow sticks or flashlights. Have your, your trick-or-treaters travel in, um, in a group or with a parent or with an older adult and tell them that they should only eat things that are in unopened wrappers. So when they get home, really stress to them when they get home that an adult is going to go through all of the candy and just make sure that it's safe. Um, also, really stress to your children that when they're trick-or-treating, they should only cross the street at intersections and in crosswalks. So by that I mean go down one side of the street going into all of the houses trick-or-treating, then cross the street at an intersection safely, and then go up the other side of the street. So don't zigzag back and forth. Sometimes kids get really excited and they see a house that looks promising or really exciting and they'll run across the street, they'll dart out, and, and that's really not safe. So really stress to the, the children that they need to do one side of the block, cross in a safe manner, and then do the other side. Definitely some good advice there from our local RCMP. So even though the risk is minute too as well, um, you know, we did talk a little bit about this off-air that, uh, you know, people aren't really tampering with candy in, uh, in this part of the, the woods, but it's still a good idea to check your kid's candy to make sure it hasn't been tampered with, and it also gives you as a parent a chance to maybe pick out a few of your favorite treats while they're not looking. Um, after tonight's festivities, though, a lot of you will be stuck wondering what to do with the pumpkins that you've carved, and I'm joined by the Environmental Services Coordinator for the City of Kamloops, Emily Lomas, and she's going to be talking about an event called Pumpkin Smash. The world is a vampire. What is a pumpkin smash? Let's just start by talking about what this is. Well, it's an event where people can come and bring their old jack-o'-lanterns that they've already used this week or any old pumpkins they have lying around and ensure that they're going to be composted. And in the process, we're going to have some fun by smashing them up with a few different activities. Uh, we're going to have bucket trucks where some of the older kids can be harnessed up and uh, go up there and see their pumpkin smash from up high. Um, we'll have activities for the younger kids too, pumpkin bowling, some pumpkin pinatas, and, and a few other things as well. That sounds like a, a pretty fun time. Is this something that uh, is new to Kamloops, or how long have you guys been running this? Yeah, this is our first pumpkin smash run by the city. Uh, we'd like to see it be a yearly event, so we're really hoping everybody will uh, come out and it'll just get bigger and better. Uh, we started by collecting pumpkins at some of our yardway sites to keep them out of the landfill, and that was going really well, so we thought, why not make an event for it? Awesome. That sounds like a good time for sure. Um, so where and when is this taking place? So this is going to be this Saturday, November 2nd, 
and it's going to be from 10 till 2 and be sure to be around at 1 o'clock because we will have our Kamloops Fire and Rescue with their really big ladder truck um, dropping some pumpkins from our pretty great heights. That will be fun for the whole family as well. Right on. Definitely, definitely uh, worth checking out. It sounds like going to be a sight to see. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about composting pumpkins as well? Because you guys have been collecting pumpkins in other forms before and this is the first event this way, but uh, you know, how important is it or, or how big of, is it uh, a process for you guys to collect pumpkins and, and keep them out of the landfill? Well, that's the thing. We wanted to keep them out of the landfill. We were noticing people were actually putting them in their garbage carts um, out for collection and obviously that's, you know, a really big heavy item in there and also it takes up landfill space so we started to collect pumpkins uh, specifically we always took them at our yard waste sites but we decided to you know make it a bit more well known that we could take them at our yard waste sites following uh, Halloween and collect them there and then we take them all the way to Cinnamon Ridge where we compost them and then uh, people can purchase the compost but also our park staff use that uh, around the city. Great. Um, do you have any idea how many pumpkins would have been collected, maybe weight-wise or anything along those lines off the top of your head? I don't have off the top of my head, but the numbers are quite up there, so we see it increase every year, usually depending on the weather, because sometimes your pumpkin disintegrates a little bit early, so um, it does depend on that, but um, we have seen quite a lot, so that's really encouraging. Perfect. And I guess uh, for anyone who maybe can't make the pumpkin smash event on Saturday, is there still bins and stuff being set up for them? Oh yeah, any of our yardway sites, if you go to camlips.ca and look for the locations, um, you can take them there uh, anytime. Awesome. Well, Emily, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, something I'm going to look forward to here on Saturday, seeing some pumpkins explode. So awesome. thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, you're welcome. That was Environmental Services Coordinator for the City of Kamloops, Emily Lomas. Well, that pretty much wraps up the show here for today. So, of course, uh, one more time, a big happy Halloween to everyone out there. Uh, got a good show set up for tomorrow at this point. I'm going to be talking about the Caribou Recovery Plan here in the province. And we're also going to be talking about uh, what the City of Kamloops is doing to help attract tech companies here to who are cities. So uh, stay tuned or stick around or what's the word I'm looking for? Tune in. That's what I'm saying. Tune in tomorrow uh, starting at 9. So, like I said, that wraps things up here today on Halloween. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me and of course a big thank you to all of you for listening and remember whether you join me here for a short while or a long while just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. Happy Halloween. Enjoy yourselves. Get a haul of delicious candy. Don't get too scared and remember to brush your teeth before you go to bed. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.